Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Hey, it's Justin. Before we begin into this episode, I want to apologize for the audio on my end during the interview. I forgot to record a separate audio track for myself, so we're probably going to end up using the Zoom audio. Dan still sounds great. The conversation is amazing. But you would think after 40 years of writing the word Schmidt, every time I wrote my name, I'd know how to dot an I and cross a T, but I forgot to get my audio set up. In any event, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a good one. Good morning, Dan Steinman. Welcome to the Support Automation Show. Justin, it's great to be with you. Glad to glad to be part of this. Thanks for asking me to join. Absolutely. Where does this podcast find you? I am in Saratoga, California, which is the southern end of Silicon Valley, south end of the San Francisco Bay Area. Spent two years in San Francisco myself. Absolutely love it there. Yep. How about to get started, give a little bit of your background and your journey to Chief Evangelist at Gainsight, and I know you're involved in some other things, but maybe give the audience just a little bit of your story. Sure. Well, I won't tell the whole thing because it's been a long one and it'll take the whole time. So I'll skip over most of it. I gravitated in the early part of my career towards interacting directly with customers, found that was a sweet spot for me. So I did a whole bunch of roles that have today become known as customer success. But I had a whole bunch of titles like account manager and customer relations and customer advocacy and all sorts of other things that were dancing around that same idea of taking care of customers. And then in the early 2000s, it became customer success. Mm -hmm. Because once Mark Benioff decides that's the name of something, then that becomes the permanent name of something. And then I started doing same roles, but they were now called customer success, including VP of customer success at Marketo. And then I left Marketo shortly before their IPO to join this little company called Gainsight. It was actually called Jaybera Software. Back then became Gainsight because I thought that was the next big thing because it was tooling for customer success, meaning how do we develop a platform that helps us take better care of our customers? So I joined as chief customer officer. Then I became chief evangelist when I stepped out of that role. Then I went to Europe, ran our European operation for four years. So I had the GM title, and then I came back a couple of years ago and went back to the chief evangelist title, which just means anytime there's a group of more than two people who want to talk about customer success, I'm happy to join into that conversation. Or even one-on-one like I'm doing with you right now, that's basically at Gainsight what the chief evangelist role means. I love it. Yeah, we're very familiar with Gainsight here in St. Louis, Missouri. That's one of our uh, claims to to tech success. Yep. So here on the Support Automation Show, the first question I ask everybody after we get past our introductions and and welcome is, is the following. When you hear the words support automation, what does that mean to you? So the first thing that comes to my mind, because I have managed support teams as chief customer officer at Gainsight, support was one of the things under me. Um, it says to me, how do we automate the functions of the customer support organization, the CSRs or whatever we might call them? That usually involves starting with something like Zendesk or Service Cloud or maybe something smaller, Freshdesk or something like that. And then how do you turn what is 
oftentimes early in a company or early in an organization, an ad hoc, reactive kind of role into something that's much much more process oriented, mm-hmm. rules based, and scalable. That's when you say automation to me. That's saying we're doing something that makes it scalable. So that's what I think about when you say support automation. Yeah, and it's interesting you, when you think about scale because scale is it's the thing that basically every function in a business is chasing after. Like we, I've yet to talk to a business leader, an entrepreneur, an operator that doesn't want to deal with scale problems. And in customer facing roles, whether it's frontline support, or you've got customer success account management type, you know, functions layered on top of that, as the amount of business increases, obviously, the support and success functions increase with that. And there's a particular opportunity for technology to come in and provide either relief or extra bandwidth or provide additional value to these particular functions. Because as you well know, the customer relationship can be a deep and complicated one. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm really interested in talking with you about, especially considering you've seen the life cycle and the value chain of customer, chief customer officer oversees success, support, and I'm sure several other things, where support and success sort of blend together, where they're separate. How do you look at that from an organizational design standpoint? It's such a great question, Justin, because there's an evolution answer to this. So early on, when we started doing customer success, mm-hmm. one of the most important things that we did, and I had to do this at Marketo, was differentiate it from support. Because mm-hmm. human beings do this thing whenever they hear something new, they try to pattern match it with something that either sounds like it or it sounds like it might be like it. So when you say customer success 15 years ago, people like, oh, that must be a rebranding of customer support or it's a level two customer support, or it's something like customer support. And in fact, I did presentations that were all about how customer success is not customer support. In fact, in so many ways, it's the complete opposite. One is totally reactive. The other one is intended to be totally proactive. One is a cost center. The other is a revenue generating organization and on and on like that. So that was early on. We had to draw a really clear line so people didn't get confused. Now, what's happened over time is that people have figured out and understand now what customer success is, that it's different than customer support. Both are necessary. And especially as a CCO, when I was doing that role, I had good, clear lines between onboarding and customer success and customer support and professional services and training and development. Those are the organizations that were under me, even renewals at some point. But then when you're in a bigger role like that, you have multiple organizations. Your mind has to change about how you think about those orgs because now there's some value in differentiating those orgs, but there's way more value in looking at all of those people as a pool of resources And my job is to deliver the highest value possible to my customers. And when you put that hat on, you're like, the organizations don't matter at all. Mm. So a simple example, 
more often than not, a customer support person on average is paid less than a customer success person. So something we define as customer success, and you could be really rigid about that, might be better off done by a customer support person because they're more equipped to do it, they're less expensive, and they have the bandwidth to do it, and it enhances their job because it becomes something that's proactive. And for a lot of support people, one of the things they're looking for often is, how can I be less reactive and more proactive? And so you have to start getting those lines to be a little bit fuzzier. Early on, we had to have those really clear lines so people weren't confused about whose job was what. But then over time, I think making those lines fuzzier can actually add value because now you're just saying, who's the best equipped to deliver this value to the customer? It doesn't matter what organization you sit in. I loved your bit there about proactive versus reactive and how over time that wasn't necessarily a bifurcation between customer success and customer support, but those the ability to be reactive and proactive and having the organizational and operational excellence to to be able to be adequately both of those mm-hmm. is definitely something where I think technology and especially recently AI in those areas becomes really apparent. One of the things that I was thinking about this morning actually is when it comes to automation in the customer life cycle, there's automation and let's just say automation and AI and just bundle that together for a second. That is seen versus felt, right? When I go onto a website and I engage a chat bot to get a question answered, that is that is automation that I see. I'm experienced. I'd like it's usually branded as some sort of bot. And I know I'm talking to a bot before mm-hmm. I hand off to a human. But then there's the automation that I feel, which may be because the vendor is using their, they've got all their customer data and all my signals of product usage and adoption and whatever feeding into a, a, a CDP and, and, you know, predicting when I may run into troubles and my CSM reaches out to me to help me understand whatever it is in the platform yep. I'm not using, feeling yep. that maybe more than I'm directly seeing it. Yep. When you look at the adoption of technology inside of organizations, do you think the better place to start is with maybe some of the more reactive stuff, with maybe some of the more proactive stuff, or does it not matter so much as which end of that spectrum you go after, but rather that you identify the places where you can drive the most value and and start there. I'm just curious when you look at bringing technology into a customer organization, like where to start? That was a very long-winded way of asking Mm. a simple question, Mm. but it's an interesting topic. Yeah, it's actually not a simple question. I think philosophically, when you're building a post-sales business, I don't like that term post-sales, but everyone understands what it means. You have to know that both of those things are necessary, reactive and proactive. And that means a lot of people are going to have to do both of those things because it's easy to say customer support is a reactive organization, which is how it was born and is still probably largely true. Or the primary uh, differentiator of customer support is that they're on call. Customer Mm -hmm. has a problem, they can call them. But the best support teams do a lot of proactive stuff as well. And the best customer success teams have to do some reactive stuff as well. 
as much as we'd love to have everything be proactive, it, it never works that way. So I think you have to start with the premise that both you're going to have to do both reactive and proactive. I wouldn't say one is more valuable than the other. If I had to pick, I would say early on, you have to build a support team because there's got to be a place that makes the customer feel comfortable that they can call and get somebody to respond to them. And you probably don't want that to be the customer success person who in the long run, you want them to be proactive. So you don't want the, to get them in the habit of answering customer calls like I can't log in or I've got a, I think I've got a bug or whatever. So I think build the customer support organization or whatever you want to call it because maybe it's only one person doing multiple jobs. But think about that first and what that requires. And then once you have that established, then introduce customer success so that when a customer does have something that should be funneled through the support organization, if they come to the CSM, CSM can say, let me open a support ticket for you because this is really a support issue and our support person will call you back on this or respond via email. So now you have, you're starting to guide the customer through their journey and how to best interact with you as a company, which is a really important thing. I always say, if you as a company don't own the customer journey, the customer will create their own journey. Mm which mm -hmm. results in one of two things, either chaos or silence. Neither of those is good, right? So you have to build a journey and then you have to manage your customer through that journey. And part of that is describing that journey to the customer. Here's when you call support. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what a P1 is versus a P2 versus a P3. Here's how customer su success is going to operate. Here's the data we're going to watch. Here's when we're going to call you when you haven't logged in two weeks or when you open 12 support tickets in the same day. We're going to get proactive and try to help you figure out how to get more value or to use our product better. So I think mentally, you think about both of those things. As I, if I was building an organization from scratch, I think I'd start with support and then tag success onto that once I've got established that there's a support organization to do some of the reactive, repetitive kinds of things that customers are going to need. Yeah, that's a really interesting point you made about the journey where if you don't lay that out, they're going to make their own and then you're not going to have insight into it, which is silence, or you're going to have, the, you're going to feel the fallout of it, which is, is the chaos. And it reminds me of one of the big trends in marketing that I think about a lot. And that is this concept of the dark funnel, right? Hmm. Where you've got people interacting with your brand, having discussions about your product, doing all this stuff outside of the, the sort of locus of control that you have with your messaging and marketing and whatever it is. So this has led to the advent of community yep. marketing. You know, you, every, every SaaS company has a podcast and, every, and, and a lot of Slack groups and LinkedIn groups and all that yep. other, other stuff, which leads me to a interest like this this is something that always interests me at when you think of customer success at scale and that is like how much engagement with the customer needs to happen within the channels and qbrs and within the sort of mo that that an organization wants and like maybe what are a couple ways you could design that customer 
success manager relationship to ensure you keep most of that conversation in the places you can manage? Hmm. Yeah, good question. It comes back to creating and then managing the journey with the customer. Because there's two aspects at a simple level. There's two aspects to the customer journey when you think about customer success. One is there's a set of what I call date-driven events. Mm. You could put it on a calendar. This is a high-touch customer. We're going to meet with them every week. Every month, we're going to review our metrics. We're going to do quarterly business reviews. We're going to do an on-site visit once a year. There's going to be three executive outreaches during the year, right? There's a set of things you're going to map out and say to the customer, here's what you could expect from us. That's the date-driven stuff. Second thing is data-driven interactions. Mm-hmm. And that is, here's the data that we're going to watch. And when these triggers go off, we're going to call you. You right. haven't logged in two weeks. It's renewal time. You're not using the new feature that we shipped six weeks ago in our release. right? You've never touched the reporting and analytics part of our product, whatever those things are. Right. It's all about managing customer health. right? The simple locus of this whole thing is, There is a health score for every customer. The only question is, do you know what it is? And if you do know what it is, then you're managing that. Just like the analogy is uh, customer health score is to the post-sales team what pipeline is to the pre-sales team. Pipeline is the indicator, the leading indicator Mm. of the result we're looking for, which is sales. Customer health score is the leading indicator of the result we want from a customer, which is renewal and upsell. You have to start this process by understanding the journey and mapping out the journey for the customer. Once you do that, then you can start to automate that journey. And by the way, the journey is going to be different for different segments of your customer base for one simple reason, because you can't afford to treat all your customers the same. Exactly. So a customer paying me a million dollars a day could get a very different level of touch from me than a customer who's paying me $6 a year, right? Literal white glove support, yeah. Literally everything is high touch. And then at the low end, which is a much more challenging thing, how can I manage a set, a very large set of customers without ever talking to them? I always joke with people like the high touch customer success manager and the digital customer success manager have the same title. But if you put them in a room together, They have nothing in common. One guy talks to all five of his customers every single day. The other guy has 3,000 customers and never talks to any of them because the minute he picks up the phone, he breaks the model. The model is digital and scalable, not high touch. So it's really important to understand that, yes, you map out a customer journey, but that journey is really a cost model that says we can afford to be high touch with this customer But this customer, we have to have this very low touch or purely digital touch kind of a model. This is one of my favorite corners of the customer organization with regards to the business writ large conversation. And because we have, we've gone through this conversation at capacity too. And this is why you have to, if you're going to go for a low touch If you're going to sell, let's take, I'm going to make a, I like making my little continuums here and I'm going to pick two very successful businesses. One of them, maybe more so than the other, but still you have ServiceNow on one end, you have Calendly on the other, right? Like the average ServiceNow contract is 
infinite problem, like almost mathematically infinitely almost, higher yeah. than the average, the average yep. Calendly deal. And the customer uh, organizations in those companies are built entirely differently because of that. Mm-hmm. And to your point about you don't want to have your support and success cost outweigh the revenue that an incremental new user brings on. There's product discussions that have to happen. There's go to market. Do you need to raise your prices? Do you need yep. to, you know, whatever it is. And my feeling is this is one of those questions that startups deal with quite often in the sort of lead up to product market fit and in the, in the, like the phrase that NASA uses of max Q when you reach the you know escape velocity or whatever mm. of product market fit and getting into your service now and you've got it all figured out. It's just a matter of scale. My question to you is, and I know you advise a lot of startups. How do you approach that conversation with the founders and with the operators in those businesses on trying to strike that balance between where you need to solve some of this in product where you need to solve some of this with people in a success and support roles, and then where you just need to look at the revenue model to right-size all this. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important conversation, Justin. I'm glad you brought it up. I have a mantra that I've preached to thousands of CSMs, and it goes like this. It's really simple. Product is your number one priority. Now, you're a CSM. I know what you do all day, every day. And almost none of it has to do with thinking like a product manager. The point I'm trying to make is this is a reality. The only scalable thing in your business is your product, period. It is the only scalable thing in your business. Second point, the the companies that own their markets have Mm -hmm. the best product, period. You could own a market for a little while with a great sales and marketing team. But in the long run, the only way to own the market is to have the best product. Therefore, as a CSM who sits at the most important intersection in your company, which is the intersection of your product and your customer, Mm. if you every week are not helping us make our product better, then you are not doing your job. Because the only negative thing that's ever come out of the world of customer success is that it has removed product managers from customer interactions. Mm. Because early in the days of SaaS, there were no customer success teams, but every company was doing customer success because you still had to get renewals, right? How was it being done? It was being done in a mad scramble of executive involvement and consulting professional services people, getting involved and support people, trying to do success. But mostly it was product managers having to bail out customers who were struggling to use the product. So they had a ton of interaction with customers. When I joined Marketo, there was no customer success team. I built the first team and the product managers were on six calls a day with customers trying to make sure that they were doing customer success, right? So we built a customer success team over time, built that expertise. And one of the things that happened was product managers started spending way less time on the phone with customers. So therefore, this idea of figuring out product market fit and what the market needs, et cetera, became a little bit more in a vacuum, a little bit more theoretical. Mm. 
Uh, and so customer success people have to figure out how to transfer the knowledge of what's happening with their customers in the product to the product team so that the most important thing in your company can actually get better, and that is your product. So this is really important. I always draw this picture of the golden triangle for success in a SaaS world. And the golden triangle is customer success, product, and sales. Those three pieces of the business have to collaborate in a really, really high level. They also have to butt heads all the time. They cannot agree on everything or they're not doing their job. Because if, if as the VP of customer success, if I'm not in the product guy's office all the time, putting pressure on him to improve performance and to refine this part of the product so that my customers actually get value and renew their contracts, I'm not doing my job. At the same time, if the VP sales isn't in the product guy's office saying, hey, our competitors have these three features. We don't have those. You better build them or we're all going to starve to death. Both people need to be putting pressure on product. And then customer success and sales need to be putting pressure on each other in the exact same way. I need sales to do their job better, set expectations better, transfer knowledge better, stop showing a demo that isn't how the product works. You have to set us up for success. And then sales has every right to say to me, I'm going to sell customers that aren't perfectly in our sweet spot. I need you to make them successful so that we can make our numbers. And that's a legitimate request. So we need this kind of healthy tension between these key organizations. Otherwise, we don't grease the wheels of the company that drives us forward in a successful way. To return the favor, that was a very long-winded answer to what probably wasn't that long-winded of a question. No, that was great stuff. It's interesting hearing you, as you were going through that, I was thinking in my head of a conversation I had with our VP of customer success and a conversation I had with our VP of product. And the, it was interesting because hearing the, the two of them go back and forth, it was different issues, but I think it could have been over the specific, the same issue if, if the words are slightly different. And that is, there is this journey that business is on to the, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, whatever that, you know, the, the exit or the IPO, whatever that is. Yep. There's this zigzag push and pull where sometimes it's the customers pushing you in a certain direction. Sometimes it's the market pulling you in another. And, yep. and it's just this sort of ping pong until you get there. And there is a very concerted effort here at Capacity to try to make sure that we are being customer led in the advancement of the product. Like we've added features because you know, people have asked for it on the simple end, but overall, I think it's a good piece of information for any um, budding customer leader, customer success, uh, or even customer support leader listening to this. The product is you need to get into their ear. Yep. And to your point with, with the golden triangle, I love that phrase of, of sales product and um, uh, customer success, working together and, and, and providing that healthy attention. Yep. One thing I wanted to ask you, just looking at your career and, and all the different you know, things you've done, and it's everything from what you did at Marketo to sort of even before that, when you were working, working at some of these other places in customer roles, with all the advisory you've seen with Gainsight's growth that you were there, over that journey, 
when you think of what has changed and what has stayed the same? What's maybe something that, that looking back on after 20 years of doing this work, you're sort of surprised is still the same? And maybe what's something that changed as you're surprised it did? Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say the, things that's, the thing that stayed the same is actually not a surprise. Because when you boil business down to its simplest form, I was having this conversation yesterday with a CEO that I'm advising as, as we get a, a kind of brand new company off the ground. You talk about so many different things. How do we market this? How do we sell it? How do we price it? Should we have these features, et cetera? At the end of the day, there's a really simple equation. I learned it at my very first startup. One of the engineers asked our CEO this question when we had about 12 people in the company. He said, what's our exit strategy? Are we trying to do an IPO? Do you think we're going to get acquired? It's way too early to even think about that. But the CEO had this perfect answer. He said, here's what I think we're going to do. We're going to build a really great product that customers are willing to pay real money for. And then we're going to make sure they get value out of it. And if we do those three things, I'm pretty sure everything else will take care of itself. There'll be a really good exit if you can continue to do those things. So that's the one thing that hasn't changed. If you bring business back to its core, mm -hmm. are you building a really good product, the product that actually works, delivers real value to the customer that you can charge a fair market price for? If you do those three things, all sorts of great things are gonna happen. So that's the thing that stayed the same. And I think sometimes it's really helpful in all the complexity of our daily lives, running companies, building products, whatever, just bring it back to those core things. What's changed is I guess it's a pretty obvious answer to me. The, the rapid evolvement of technology is probably mm -hmm. the primary thing that's changed. So scalability is more achievable more quickly than it's ever been before, because that's what automation is. That's what technology does. It says <clears throat> we can do the same with the same, or we can do more with the same number of people, or we can do it better, right? At some point, I always ask VPs of customer success this. I said, what's your customer to customer success manager ratio? Oh, on average, we have 15 customers per CSM. I'm like, do you think that number is going to go up or down next year? Guess what? It's going up every single year. It's not yes. going from 15 to 12. It's going from 15 to 20. How do you do that? You ask your people to work harder. And then the next year, you ask your people to work 90 hours a week. And no, that's not the answer. The answer is they're part of it that we can automate. And that has become so much better and easier in our technology world today. The advent of SaaS has changed the world in so many ways. One of the primary ways is you can now buy departmental solutions. 20 years ago, there was no such thing as a departmental solution because it all had to be hosted on site. So you had to buy Oracle or SAP or Microsoft or whatever. Today, you buy Marketo and you buy Zendesk and you buy Salesforce and you buy Gainsight and you buy Calendly and you buy Box and you buy Workday or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you can truly buy these departmental solutions. So you can scale your part of the business potentially really, really quickly. And you can add automation to it in a way that isn't disruptive to the whole business. Now you still have to worry about security and all sorts of IT things, but it is much easier to buy and implement software for your department. So scalability 
as is more readily at our fingertips than it ever has been before. Scalability was always there. You have to do it. It's just much easier to do now. I think you can do it much faster. Right. You're the, the sort of department in a box. Yeah, exactly. Um, nature of SaaS is an interesting way to put it. It's funny you say that because the, actually the last person I interviewed for the show was a gentleman by the name of Lee Cockrell, who it, talk about a career. He um, ran um, operations at Disney World for four mm. years. And it was interesting talking to him where we're having this discussion and he just kept going back and said the same thing you did that like the fundamental laws of business haven't really changed, right? Like you're providing value to a customer you need to make that experience, you know, best, yep. best as possible. And then hearing you talk just made me think it's like, yeah, if service now was around in 1890, Rockefeller would have probably invested in it for standard oil. Right. But like the fundamental of what they were doing was still the same it's managing expectations and delivering yeah. value. So when we think about and this has been a fantastic conversation, by the way, Dan. I, I could talk to you all day, but I need to land the plane. So yeah. when we think about going into the future, what excites you the most about where support automation and just automation in the sort of customer world in general is going? Yeah, this is, I think we're in the middle of one of the more dramatic shifts, mm -hmm. at least in the technology world that's ever happened. So if I paint the history, we go back 20 years, we lived in a transactional world. I sell you Oracle, you write me a check for $3 million. I put all that money in the bank. You don't ever, no one ever logs in to Oracle for two and a half years because that's how long it takes to implement it. I have your $3 million in my bank account working for me the whole three years, right? That's an exaggeration, but that's the old transactional world. Then we moved into SaaS where suddenly we don't collect all the money up front. We collect a small chunk of it and we have to earn the rest of it. Now, in theory, lifetime value for a SaaS customer can definitely be higher than it was in the old transactional world, but you don't get it up front. You have to earn it over time. Mm -hmm. Now we're moving to a certain degree. We're moving out of the subscription model into what I call the consumption model, which is a model where we don't collect money up front. In fact, we don't collect a subscription. We collect money only when you use our product. Mm. The, the simple way to think about this would be, let's take cloud storage as an example. Let's say I'm Box and I sell you Box today and your subscription is $2,000 a month to use my software or not use it. There's tremendous value if you use it. Here's the new future for Box potentially. You don't pay me any money on a subscription basis. You pay me a penny every time you download a file and another penny every time you upload a file, another penny every time you share a file. Now, here's what's happened in this transition over 25 or so years. We've gone from a world that was where all revenue is completely driven by sales. You could argue that the only thing that mattered for Oracle back in those days was sales and marketing. And that's the way they acted. Mm -hmm. Everything else was an afterthought. Because to make next quarter's number had nothing to do with renewal or upsell or any of that. It had to do with, can I sell 25 new customers right. my $3 million software? So it was all sales driven. Everything else was literally the, the tail of the dog and sales was the dog. Fast forward to that consumption model. We don't collect any money up front. You ask yourself the question in that model, what is sales? There's no financial transaction that happens. 
there's still a sales motion to find customers who are willing to try our product. Think about how much easier that is when you say, you don't owe me any money unless you think this has value and you start using it. Now who's the dog and who's the tail? The dog now are the people responsible for helping the customer use that product and consume more of it every single day. This is a shift unlike anything I've ever seen in my career, where we went from sales being the kingpin, and I'm not picking on sales because it's still so incredibly valuable, but they ran everything, right? And the only way to become a CEO was to be the VP of sales prior to that, to a world where it's hard to even define what sales is in a world where the consumption of the product is what drives all of the revenue. So I look forward to that because I think it's such a shift in the way companies have to think about their business. It's the way things ought to be. Subscription is closer to the way things ought to be, which is you shouldn't have to pay me any money uh, unless I'm delivering value to you. And in a consumption world, that's even more true than it is a subscription world. Like when you decide that the product isn't working for you, you don't have to say, I'm not going to renew my contract. You just say, I'm done. Stop using the product and the money stops going to the vendor. And you install a competitive product and you start using that one. What it does is it keeps centralizing our focus on customers and delivering customer value. In that old school world, we just didn't have to worry that much about whether customers were really getting that daily value. We wanted them to, but our business model wasn't dependent on it. Our business model was dependent only on could we sell more customers. Today, if we move into that consumption model, our business model is fully dependent on customers seeing enough value to use our product more today than they did yesterday. And it puts an extra bit of shine on the product side of the golden triangle too. For sure. Because in a consumption usage-based model, like to your point, like if people aren't using it, you're not going to drive incremental value. So product and customer need to need to, to really get their, themselves aligned there. Yeah, to double down on that point, Justin, real quickly, if you go back to that transactional world, I keep saying Oracle, I'm not picking on them because we'd, to to we'd all love to be as successful as Oracle. <laughs> but think about that model where all revenue is driven by my ability to sell new customers. Ask yourself this question. What's more important to my success as a company? The demo of my product or the product or the way the product actually works. And the answer is the demo was literally more important than the way the product actually worked today. It's the opposite. If you demo it and that's not the way the product works, you're setting your customer success team up for failure because the customer sees that immediately and says, Hey, this isn't what I got in the demo. Why was that? That's why I say one of the things that's incumbent on sales in that golden triangle is set expectations properly with customers by showing them the product as it actually works and not exaggerating what it can do or what it might be able to do three months from now. Love it. Dan, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm going to close with a quick fire round. I've got two questions for okay. you. The first one is what is the book that you most often recommend to people who are going down the same career path you have? This is a, you set me up for an ego-driven response. That's the book I wrote, uh, which is the seminal original customer success book. I didn't write it myself. Nick, my CEO, and another guy named Lincoln Murphy are the co-authors. But it is a really high-level picture of, we call it a customer success, but it's really philosophically customer success. 
It's not how to do day-to-day -day customer success. It's written for CEOs of every company in the world, how to think about the new world where customers matter way more than they did previously. So that's the book I recommend because I think that's where the world is moving to where a customer really is becoming our central focus from a product to sales and a post-sales standpoint. Love it. And then final question for you. You've led very large teams. You've, you've advised a bunch of founders and CEOs on, on leadership and growing companies. Part of that is managing time and mm -hmm. managing your productivity. So when you think of all the different productivity tips or hacks, if you want to use that word, or just tools that you have gathered over the years, what's one that you would recommend everybody adopt in their practice? Yeah, I'm bold school. So I don't adopt a lot of personal productivity tools. That's I just never got into that mentality. So when you ask the question, I'm hearkening back to the really simple two by two thing that we used to talk about all the time where the upper right quadrant is urgent and important. Mm, Eisenhower matrix, yep. The lower right quadrant is urgent, but not important, et cetera, yep. the four pieces of it. And am I spending enough time every day on the things that are in that upper right quadrant. Because in our worlds, it's so easy to spend all of our time so on urgent, urgent things, many of which are not all that important. Yep. So that's, I'd, I'd go back to a simple drawing of a two by two thing instead oh. of some fancy productivity tool. The Eisenhower matrix, as it's also known, is, is incredibly powerful. And funny enough, I've got a Notion notebook set up to manage all my tasks and it, yeah. go, it, it puts things into an Eisenhower <clears throat> matrix for me. So I've, I've well, that's the key the thing to look methodology. at your calendar and say, oh, just you know, in a week of 30 hours of meetings and 50 hours of time spent, am I spending at least 30 of those on things that are both important and urgent? Well, yeah. I don't know what the right number is, but some high number like that. Absolutely. And Simon, thank you so much for coming on the Sport Automation Show. If people want to know about more about you and Gainsight, where can they go to find that information? Yeah, Gainsight.com, of course, if you want to know about Gainsight and find me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with anybody listening. And I'm way more open than you might think to having one-on-one -on -one conversations, especially if they're about leadership, startups, founder mentality, or customer success. Those are my things, and I love talking about them. And all you'll owe me is a cup of coffee at Starbucks someday when we can get together. Well, Dan, next time I'm in the Bay Area, I'll look you up and I'll get you that cup of coffee. I'll take you up on that. Sounds great. This was really fun, Justin. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you for coming. Really appreciate yeah. it. And have a wonderful afternoon. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find the show by searching for Support Automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.